Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today with me, I have Claire Sanderson, who is the Editor-in-Chief of Women's Health. And we first met at a Department of Health meeting probably about 18 months ago, I think, Claire, didn't we? Yes, maybe a bit longer. Time flies, yeah. doesn't so it? Yeah, so it was a meeting that we went to to talk about the impact of menopause, especially in the workplace with Dame Sally Davis, who was then the Chief Medical Officer. And I was really encouraged to see someone who was a journalist who'd worked in women's health for a long time coming and Claire's young she's vibrant she's had the most amazing career already but she was really engaging with everything that we were saying and we had a really good chat afterwards and um, since then we've sort of liaised quite a lot really and I think we both feel frustrated in different ways but also there's a big overlap in our frustration because we hear so many women who are suffering because of their hormones. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) So just tell me a bit about how you got into women's health and your sort of journey so far, if that's all right. Thank you for having me today. Yes, so I'm the editor-in-chief of Women's Health, and Women's Health is much more than just a magazine. It's the biggest wellness publishing brand in the UK, part of a global network of women's health, actually. So we, we have some leverage in terms of getting the right message across for our engaged audience. In the UK, I'm in charge of every aspect of the brand, the strategy and the direction. So that's the website, the social channels, the events, the magazine, and also I deal a lot with the commercial side of the business as well. My background is that I'm a news journalist. I'm a a trained news journalist and I started off in national newspapers and I remained in newspapers for seven, eight years. And I then struggled a lot with my mental health. And if anyone was to Google me, I've been very honest about struggles I've had with depression and anxiety. And in my mid-20s, I ended up going into hospital twice for 11 weeks in total And it was at that time that I looked at my lifestyle, working on newspapers, which is hugely competitive, not very healthy. It was at a time when maybe the ethics within newspapers are not as scrupulous as they are now. So I certainly felt that my own personal beliefs were being compromised somewhat and it wasn't benefiting my mental health. So I left to go into magazines in my mid-20s and I've been there ever since. So I'm not qualified in any aspect of health. I I was employed to run women's health because I have 20 plus years experience in national publishing under my belt. But I am genuinely and always have been obsessed with health and fitness. I used to be in competitive sport. I've trained all my adult life. So women's health is the sweet spot for me that it combines my passion with my long experience in journalism. Amazing. And you've got two children as well. Yes. So anyone who's trying to juggle work and children and families and partners, it's hard, isn't it? And then you throw hormones into the mix. It's even harder, actually, which no one prepares us for. And there's been so much, hasn't there, about mental health awareness. And certainly when I was a medical student, even the word depression, everyone just thought it meant that you had a bad day. Didn't really think about clinical depression. Whereas now, thankfully, we can talk about it. And it's fantastic that you say, you know, you have been really open about your horrendous experience. And I'm sure you wouldn't want anyone to go through what you've been through. 
But then the menopause is still a taboo. And we've talked a lot, haven't we, about the perimenopause, which is something that I'm sure a lot of people who engage with your platforms probably don't even know about. I don't know what your feeling is. Well, absolutely. So, Louise, when you and I first met, I'd recently started experiencing perimenopausal symptoms. And I had no idea what was going on. I'd never even heard the phrase perimenopause six months earlier. And it was only after going out for dinner with a doctor friend of mine and explaining my symptoms, which are textbook, I now know. So Mm. really sore breasts. I remember saying it's almost like I'm pregnant again, even though I knew I couldn't be because my husband's had a vasectomy, you know, but it'd be a macular conception. But um, Mm. my, my breasts were swollen and really, really painful and, you know, painful to even jump up and down. My mood was much more up and down than it had been in years to the point where I was considering going on antidepressants again. Mm. Irritability, lack of patience. I was having the hot flushes. My hands would get really hot and um, I was waking up and the bed would be soaking wet, mm. you know, with sweat. And But I, I never thought that someone at my age, which was around 40 at the time, maybe 39, could possibly be experiencing menopausal symptoms until a friend of mine, as I say, who's an anaesthetist, by the way, but she she was yeah. familiar with the symptoms because she's a little bit older than me. And she said, I'm going through the same. And it's only then that I became familiar with the phrase. And I realised that I have a duty heading up a brand like Women's Health, which is so much more than a fitness and nutrition mm. brand, by the way. We cover women's health holistically. It's one of my um, brand strategies to cover the type of topics that you don't see widely reported elsewhere. So we've done investigations into the mesh scandal, for instance, and endometriosis and even heart health for women, which no one talks about. They think it's something that's, you know, throw away to older men. So we were covering all that, but the menopause is not something that we'd ever really thought about doing and certainly not the perimenopause and you're right the demographic of women's health the median age is 37 in print sways a bit younger in digital so their prime age to be clued up about this and it's only when I started doing a bit of research myself and I read awful stats about the shocking number of women who were being misdiagnosed with depression and given antidepressants when when actually what they have is perimenopausal symptoms But as you know, Louise, I come from a family where there's a lot of breast cancer. My mother had breast cancer in her 40s. Her cousins did, her sister. There's an awful lot of breast cancer in the family. So I was under the impression that I couldn't take HRT. And I was even told that by Mm. my GP that it's not advisable for me to take HRT, much like I'd been told in my 30s not to stay on the pill consistently for the same reason, which again is mis-messaging. Because only when I spoke to you and I went along to the Women's Health Task Force, because I was part of the task force for the, over a period of maybe like a year, and it's only sitting there listening to the likes of you and the other experts in the room that I realised the misinformation about HRT. And I remember Leslie Reagan, who is from the Royal College of gynaecologist and obstetrician she was the president and she said to me the misinformation about HRT is the biggest injustice to women's health issues Mm. of our generation so it's then 
that I really took it upon myself to increase in the velocity of content that we do across all the platforms about the menopause and perimenopause. Yeah, and it's so important, isn't it? So for those of you who don't know who are listening, perimenopause, peri just means around the time of menopause is obviously when periods stop. But perimenopause is when people still have periods, but they often change in nature or frequency, but they start to experience symptoms. And symptoms, like you say, can be the classic flushes, sweats, but they often are the psychological symptoms. So they're the low mood, anxiety, just feeling, some people feel this impending doom, brain fog, memory problems, concentration, just this overwhelming fatigue. And often people find they get worse just before their periods And it can be almost like an extension of PMS. A lot of women experience PMS, but it's only a day before their periods. They feel a bit flat and then they feel better. And that's classically because the estrogen level is dropping. But because you're going from a slightly lower level all the time and then it drops, people feel worse and it can last for longer. Um, And so many women I speak to, and I'm sure people you engage with too, Claire, just think it's because they're busy, because they've got children, because they've jobs, they're they're, they're pulled in all directions. And, And I was the same when I had symptoms because you expect to be tired, you expect to be a bit stressed. And if you've got a history of depression or any mental illness, then you're always going to be thinking, well, is it that? And, you know, for someone like yourself who had a horrendous time when you were younger, it's very scary when you get these these symptoms because the last thing you want to do is have to go back and end up in hospital. But like you say, a lot of women, we did a study of 3,000 women and 70% had been offered or given antidepressants for their low mood associated with their perimenopause or menopause. And actually antidepressants won't work. They don't treat the underlying cause. And a lot of women actually say they, they don't feel any better, but they've got nothing else to take. So actually, it's really important with anything we do in medicine is looking at the underlying cause. But like you say, this isn't just about symptoms. It's about our future health. And you know, women's health would not have been a thing 100 years ago because we died in our 50s on average. So we didn't really have to invest in the same way that maybe we do now because the average age of death in the UK for women is 82. So actually all the work that you're doing now to improve women's health for your, the people that engage with you who are in their 30s is an investment for their future, isn't it? It's not just about here and now, I want to feel good today. It's about our future decades, isn't it? Which is really important. Yeah. Um, What I find interesting is the attitude towards taking HRT. Certainly amongst extended family members of mine, and I've spoken to staff who work for me, and they've said that, because people who work for me are slightly younger, they've said that their mum or their aunties feel that taking HRT is a bit of a failure and that they should be able to tolerate and get through the menopause naturally. But I know that you've said before, Louise, there's nothing natural about not having hormones because we're meant to have them. And it's a huge challenge and it's why you're doing great work and I'm hoping that Women's Health can contribute Mm -hmm. as well to change this perception. Absolutely. And in fact, my practice manager this morning from the clinic just said to me, someone phoned up yesterday to cancel her appointment because she said, oh, I don't want to have these uh, medicines pumped inside me, so I'm going to cancel the clinic. I don't want HRT. And my practice manager said, but you had estrogen in your 20s and 30s. Mm. It's not unnatural. All you're doing is replacing. And she said, oh, gosh, I hadn't thought of it like that. Mm. And I think this is the problem. And I think when I when I first met you, well, in fact, just before then, I had 
I always think about how can I engage with more women and different women as well. So it's not just women who I would see in my clinical practice. It's women who are neglected, women who are disadvantaged, women from different ethnic groups. And wherever you look, you know, women who've had cancer, women with HIV, wherever you look, there are groups of women suffering more. But there are lots of women who are suffering anyway, and it's all needlessly suffering. And I've always thought, well, actually, let me, as well as doing my medical work and being evidence-based in my practice, I want to engage with as many journalists as possible because journalists have been fed wrong information for years. And women have been fed wrong information. And sadly, healthcare professionals have also been fed wrong information. So let's just try and change that. And um, so, but it is the perception about what hormones do. And, you know, if someone has an underactive thyroid gland... Of course, you would give them thyroxine. If they were iron deficient, you would give them iron. So we're estrogen deficient and we start this deficiency when we're perimenopausal and it will carry on whether we have symptoms or not until the day we die. And it's not natural. Our bodies aren't designed to live without the hormones because we are, if you like, designed to die just after our menopause, which is what we used to do. So it it is completely changing that perception and it's very hard. And I know every time someone writes something about HRT, there's always breast cancer in the same sentence. And for a lot of women taking HRT, there's no risk. In fact, for a lot of women, actually, the risk reduces. So it's hard, isn't it? And I don't know whether you've got any sort of good ideas or strategies going forwards to how to really empower women with the right information, because that's all we're trying to do, really, isn't it? So they can make the right choices. So I mentioned my mother had breast cancer in her 40s and she was very anti me going on HRT and I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. But what my mother fails to acknowledge is that she chain smoked from the age of 12. You know, 12, she, yeah, from 12. This is the South Wales Valleys, you know. Um, I, until her mid-60s when she, she gave up because she had pneumonia and was told, you carry on, you're going to die. But she, you know, she chain smoked. She didn't do any exercise. She had a very beige diet you know Mm -hmm. sort of deep fried everything bread and when I try to explain to her they are far more significant contributory Mm -hmm. factors to developing cancer than taking HRT she won't listen to me and then obviously we're from a big family she's one of five so that messaging then permeates around the family and I think what is happening in the last 12 months 18 months where more and more celebrities are coming out and saying they're on HRT and we're seeing this groundswell of well-known women who are owning aging it's no longer something to be embarrassed about you know it's something to be proud of look at Davina McCall she's Mm. on our cover at the moment and she's 52 and I've met Davina several times I I know you have and she just she's fantastic she is and she owns her sexuality she has confidence emanating out of every pore and she's very vocal about the fact that she takes HRT and Mm. I think that means so much because women do look up to these women there's plenty of well-known celebrities who are in their 40s and 50s who are coming out and saying openly I take HRT I'm 42 I say it openly that I take it after being prescribed it by you. So hopefully I can do my bit as well. But what we need is more and more high profile women and women within their own social groups speaking to their friends and telling absolutely. their friends that they're taking yeah, it. Yeah, you're, you're, it's absolutely right. And it's normalising it, isn't it? And I think certainly Davina's quite open on a podcast I did with her about how she was told off for talking about her taking HRT because there's all this ageism as well. And as you know, many young women experience menopause and perimenopause. But even some of my medical professional colleagues have 
told me off because I take HRT and I've taken it since my mid 40s. And they said, but why are you telling people that's really private information? Well, it's not private to me. When I was pregnant, I told people I was pregnant. I get migraines. I tell people I have migraines. Actually, it's up to them if they what they choose to do with that information. But I think it's about making it normalised. Yeah. And it's also about trying to think about our future health, as you say, but it's really our heart health, our bone health, our brain health. And it's a combination of things. So for those people taking HRT, they still have to look at their diet, their exercise, their well-being. People who don't take HRT, it's essential they look at their heart, their bone, their brain. So it's not just about hormones, but hormones can often help, clearly. But it's about exercise. And I know you're amazing with your exercise, but different people actually want different exercises, don't they? And and I'm sure you agree, there's not really a one one size fits all is there for exercise. Oh, absolutely not. The, the simple message is move more and you will feel better. Yes. And move more outside if you can, yes. because fresh air does wonders for your immune system and your mood and reduction of cortisol. And I love nothing more than, you know, thrashing myself in a really intense hit class but that's me and I'm an anomaly but you know just going for a a nice walk or I bought a bike recently 200 pounds second hand and it's wonderful just just going out on bike rides I'm not breaking land speed records you know went out on Sunday and my mood was noticeably better when I come back and I had to be encouraged to go because I was feeling a bit down and a bit miserable as you know I'm trying to work out the dosage of my HRT at the moment and my mood is a bit fluctuating but my husband encouraged me to go and I felt so much better when I come back so that's my message to anyone even if you don't feel like doing it, you will feel better afterwards. Absolutely. So. And it doesn't have to be a full hour, hour and a half workout. Yeah. Sometimes 10 minutes is enough. And as you know, I do quite a lot of yoga. And at the weekend, my older daughter was back from school and my youngest daughter, who's nine, we just took some mats out to the garden yeah. and did some yoga. But after 10 minutes, my nine-year-old had, had enough. But that's fine. She, you know, And there is something. And it's also about doing it with other people, actually. Yeah. I do yoga on my own but I also I have someone that comes to my clinic and there's three of us that do a class uh, with James Critchlow and I've known him for years but actually just to have someone else there Mm. is really powerful because it's we're also screen focused aren't we at the moment and there's some amazing classes obviously online but sometimes doing something and even if it's going for a cycle with someone or going for a walk Mm. And I certainly find even when I walk with my children, we have a different conversation to when Mm. we're inside. And I don't know why it's a bit like being in the car, you've got their attention a bit more. Mm. So, and meeting friends for walks is really good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, on Saturday, a friend of mine said, should we go for a coffee? And I said, yeah, let's get a coffee and walk. And it was an hour and we got through so much because it was Mm. a more engaged conversation. You know, we chat about our kids and her unhealthy husband, you know, as you do, you know, she's fed up with him. But <laughs> but we it was it was lovely, it was sunny, and it really boosted my mood for mm-hmm. that day. And you don't have to spend money on exercise or working right. out either. There's so much free content online on YouTube, on Women's Health YouTube channel, or I'm a big fan of Joe Wicks. If you go on his YouTube channel, there's short workouts that you can do in your living room. You don't need any equipment at yeah. all. You know, you don't even need a mat if you're on carpet. Just And there's more so than ever as a result of lockdown, you can get an abundance of fitness content online. So there's no excuse really, apart from your own resistance, which I feel if you can get over that hurdle, it will benefit you enormously. 
and benefit your family. I'm a great believer that our families are so influenced by us as the mums of the family. Oh, I totally agree. You know, when my mood's down, the whole family get down and it's really difficult and you know that it's you. And I know certainly when I was experiencing perimenopausal symptoms, I was very irritable. I had this sort of demon inside me just saying, you can shout, it doesn't matter. Mm. You can hate your children, you can hate your husband, you tell them and it don't worry about it. And it's horrid. I was really, mm. really vile. Um, and actually, when you were talking earlier about sexuality, I was going to pick up with you because there's a study that came out yesterday, actually, looking at sex in menopausal women. And they were saying 25% of women actually still want to have sex. And they were surprised. So a few journalists got in touch with me yesterday for my comment And they were actually saying, gosh, 25%, that's far more than we thought who want to have sex. And I was actually reflected on this. And I thought, actually, that's really sad. It's only 25%. And the journalists were saying, gosh, that's a lot. And I thought, gosh, if we said 25% of men were interested in sex over the age of 50, my goodness, everyone was saying, why isn't it 100% of men? But this was really weird. And um, I wrote a piece for The Mail, which is in the paper today, actually, and really saying why there's a lot more women who want to have sex but actually can't because of their symptoms because of sometimes their physical symptoms sometimes their psychological symptoms and often libido itself is reduced because of low estrogen and also often low testosterone Mm -hmm. so actually this number I'm surprised it's as low as it is but I thought gosh how sad really as a nation that we are as women not expected to enjoy sex and I'm not even talking about penetrative sex actually it's about a sexual relationship or a relationship with another person be it a man or woman it's almost why would women as they age want to explore their bodies and have any sex and I I don't know whether that was something you picked up on or whether that's something that you talk about because obviously talking about sex in younger women is obviously a lot more easier and it's a lot more open but it's so important isn't it Well, we do a lot of sex content and by sex content, I mean, we have a feature coming out in the next issue about questions the sex therapist gets asked Mm. and then the sex therapist answered. We have one in the issue that's about to go on sale this week, actually, about how when women take antidepressants, they lose their orgasms and why it shouldn't be a choice. And so we do a lot of of sex content. But the fact that you said that 25% is terribly low. And I think it's Mm. another example of sort of this ingrained misogyny in in wellness and healthcare Mm. for women. I think a lot of that would come down from women who lack confidence when they get into their 40s. We did a survey last year for our Project Body Love campaign, which was a campaign to improve women's body confidence. And what researchers found is that women who have low body confidence tend to have low self-esteem and and therefore don't put themselves forward for work promotions but also shy away from relationships with their partners so we did a campaign last year and we did a big survey and what came back is that the most body confident age of women is 55 plus and it's women in their 40s who are in the you know the battleground years of the menopause are the ones who have the worst body confidence matched Mm. by the 18 to 25 year olds, but they have low body confidence largely because of comparison culture on social media and the the love eyes. So it's quite different. Yeah. And I'm sure the 40 year olds, you know, you have the average age of the menopause is 51, as you know. So the average age of the perimenopause is mid 40s, although obviously a lot of women still go through it earlier. But this is a time when emotionally you're changing, physically you're changing. A lot of women find they put on weight because of the low hormone levels that occur. 
they have reduced muscle tone and they have this thing called sarcopenia where there's a reduction in bone density, but also muscle mass as well. Plus skin changes, you know, you lose collagen in your skin. So people find that their skin becomes drier, their hair changes, it often can become drier and more brittle as well. So there's no surprise that you are just thinking, well, your body is not what it used to be. And there's so many women say to me, look, I'm exercising the same, I'm eating the same, but I'm putting on weight. And actually a lot of it is because they're not sleeping well. And we know poor sleep increases weight and their metabolism changes because of the low hormones. And I think probably like you say, when you're in your fifties, you think, well, this is it. This is my life. So I might as well get on with it. And um, hopefully a lot of women who've had their hormones replaced have been given some holistic menopause care and treatment feel better and it's a really liberating time actually when you're menopausal because you know you can't get Mm. pregnant and a lot of people might have a bit more freedom because their children aren't at home maybe or the jobs just change so maybe they're seeing a bit more of their partner as well so it's really sad actually that 75% of women are not Mm. wanting sex and that's what the article should be about not 25% yeah, yeah, are. absolutely was it a male journalist who no, said it's actually female it was female journalist one of them was completely gets it the other one I spoke to yesterday was quite young and I was talking to her it's not just about libido actually in women for men it can often be a hormone related if they've got low testosterone their libido will often go but for women it's not an on-off switch we have to feel positive about ourselves we have to feel good in general before even thinking about holding our partner's hand Mm. let alone having a sexual relationship and women are far more complicated but we can't be ignored just because we're menopausal and I think that's happened for so long and I've said a few times about how young women experience the perimenopause and menopause. And a lot of women say to me, well, I've been told I'm too young for HRT. And a lady I saw in my clinic yesterday is, well, she's now 35, but she was diagnosed with cancer of the cervix five years ago. So she had horrendous time, mutilating surgery because everything was removed and she had radiotherapy, chemotherapy. So she's got a lot of scar tissue around her vagina, vulval area. She can't have penetrative sex because there's so much scarring. But no one would give her HRT. And she said, I've battled through cancer. I've now five years after cancer and I should be doing well, but it's so hard. Every day is a struggle. And it's wrong, you know, so we need to change the images also I think of the menopause because a lot of um, sites when you google them it's grey-haired women running down the beach with their children and you know my youngest patient's 18 and she was floored into the menopause again after a cancer she had a cancer on her thigh and you know she's nowhere near being grey-haired she's got a whole life ahead of her but people have refused giving her HRT or the right doses of HRT and we need to change and I think a lot of the work you're doing by pushing out other people who have similar stories that people can relate to is going to go to people are going to recognize with mm. aren't they and a lot of times people say gosh that was me I had no idea but they wouldn't know otherwise and so changing the almost the demographics of the menopause is what we need to do as well yes absolutely I'm, I'm going to write a piece for women's health about the fact that I take it but talk about the fact that there's a lot of breast cancer in my family as well because I think that's the Mm. I know we touched upon it already but I think some people struggle to get their head around that a I started taking HRT when I was 40 b I do so even though my mother's had breast cancer in her 40s Mm. and c I'm not a grey-haired woman running down the beach I'm in really good shape I 
Mm-hmm. Train all the time. I, I'm very strong. I'm stronger than a lot of men, you know. So mm-hmm. I completely contradict a lot of the common hell images of, of menopausal women. Yes, which is really important. And for those listening who do have a family history of breast cancer, the evidence is very clear that those women will not increase their risk of breast cancer if they take HRT and certainly when they're young, because um, you're just replacing the hormones and your risk because of your family might be slightly higher, but taking HRT won't make any difference. And in fact, as you quite rightly said earlier, your risk is probably lower because your lifestyle is so good. If you weren't taking HRT, you might end up like your mother was smoking, being overweight, drink, you know, whatever, because it's so hard to be motivated to exercise and to eat well and to sleep well when you haven't got those hormones. So we need to think about the bigger picture. Breast cancer is not about hormones. And the commonest risk factor actually for breast cancer now is obesity and for all cancers. So it's overtaken smoking. So ways of reducing obesity, and especially in view of COVID, because we know people who are obese are more likely to die from COVID. It's really key. Whatever your hormones are is looking at your weight and, you know, having a good nutrition plan because food's good. We need to enjoy our food, but we need to eat. And a lot of people need to eat in a different way, don't they? And I know that's something that you obviously write a lot about because it's so important. Well, absolutely. There's a phrase, you can't out-train a bad diet. So if you want to reduce your weight, it is 90% nutrition and it is only 10% fitness, I'm afraid. People think that if you're going to kill yourself in, you know, high-energy classes and burn 450 calories in an hour, fine but you could eat 450 calories in 10 minutes and not even realise it if you're eating the wrong type of food and your portion control is not what it should be. So some people track their calories. That's a really effective way Mm. to lose weight, but some people find that too controlling. So if you go online, you can check your portions by using your palm. So you should eat a palm-sized portion of protein with every meal, a sort of a cup size your hand, of carbohydrates, so vegetables, and I, I don't mean refined carbs like white bread, I mean potatoes, mm. sweet potatoes, vegetables, etc. And then a thumb of good fats. So people try and avoid eating fat, and actually, good fats it's are really, really, really important. It encourages your body to metabolize food properly, reduces, it stops your body from storing food as fat. So it manages the glucose spike. So, you know, it's not it's not stored mm-hmm. as sugar, etc. So it's really important. So good fats are avocado, nuts, olive oil, nut butters. So you must have fat in your diet if you want to metabolize your food properly to lose weight. But yeah, a good nutrition is absolutely key for mind and body. Absolutely. For me, I do struggle with what I would I live with what I would describe low level depression and sometimes it rears its ugly head, probably about twice a year, and then I end up in bed for a couple of days and then I get back on an even keel. But for me, if I go off track a bit and consistently eat bad food, and to be fair, I don't ever eat bad food, I'm vegan for a start, but I can if I overeat things like you know, a jar of nut butter, which I love. It is my nemesis, you know. <laughs> I could, or um, <laughs> if I have a few drinks and, you know, it affects my mood dramatically. So mm-hmm. if you're someone who is eating refined sugars and saturated fat and stuff, that's really, really bad for your mood and ultimately your waist as well and your weight. Absolutely. And it's a lot of it's linked with our gut mm. health as well. And I've done a couple of podcasts with Emma Ellis Flint, our nutritionist about this. And it's really important to look at what we're eating. And it's not just about calories, because I could eat, you know, like you say, 450 calories of 
McDonald's or 450 calories of nuts and it's going to have completely different effects in my body so we have to be really careful so there's a lot to think about and there's a lot we need to do to invest for our future health and I think the work you're doing is incredible and will really help so many women so I'm really grateful Claire for your time today so before we leave though I in my usual way I'd just like to ask for three take-home tips so for women who are perimenopausal who might be struggling what ways would you recommend for them to try and get the right help and treatment first and foremost use you louise use the information that you put out and on your website on your instagram and then take that information to your doctor and insist that you deserve hrt and don't be deterred i was initially even someone in my position who has access to world leading experts in their field it took me i went on a journey before i i finally was able to persuade my doctor to give me a prescription of hrt secondly look at your health generally because the changes you make now will make a difference in the future so you know if you need to manage your weight now's a good time to do it manage your sleep start putting yourself first as women we are notorious for putting everyone before ourselves we'll put our family our husbands the shopping the cleaning and then we come so far down the pecking order but actually if you put yourself first and preserve your armor then you are much more prepared to go into battle and face the world and succeed as as being a a homemaker, a wife, a a manager, whatever it is you do in your life. And speak to your your friends about it. I think you'd be surprised, like I did, that others might be struggling as well. So lean on your squad, you know, lean on your on your girlfriends and be open and honest about it because somebody else might be struggling and you can help each other. That's brilliant. I love this. Preserve your armour. I think that's so important. (laughs) We need to keep armour for as long as we live. And any ways to preserve mine would be gratefully received. So, oh, thanks, Claire. It's been really useful. And I know this will help so many women going forward. So thank you. Great. Thank you so much for having me. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.